It's after 4 o'clock. Speaking of PlayAlberta.ca, um, yesterday we had some uh, technical difficulties, so we didn't get our bet in time. So uh, today we made two, one separate, though. We just went straight Addison over 42 and a half receiving yards. So I like that uh, with the uh, injuries and uh, Slay likely on Jefferson tonight. And then uh, the other one, the parlay that we always like to bet, we got some feedback from you. So we went uh, Eagles to win, Tampa Bay to win, and the Giants to win. San Francisco, that is, not the New York Giants. It would be a cold day in H-E double hockey sticks for betting on the Giants. Tell you that right now. I'm Jason Greger, live on Sports 1440. Also, we are, man, we're live everywhere right now. It's amazing. We, Of course, we're on the Orders Nation YouTube page. Hit the subscribe button. Uh, we're live on Facebook now. It's amazing. Also, uh, you can stream us anywhere. Get us on the iHeartRadio app, Stingray app. It's fantastic. The uh, the opportunities, uh, there's really no excuse for you not to uh, to tune in somewhere, some way, somehow. As uh, Terry Ryan, of course, uh, eighth overall pick in the 1995 NHL uh, draft, uh, currently uh, starring in Shorzy. Earlier today was uh, doing some uh, rehearsal for the stunt, a big explosion scene. And what movie, what show is this in? When's it coming out? When do we get to see the stuntman in action? Uh, I'm not sure. I think it's as yet untitled. I'll keep you up to date, though. Oh, okay. Oh, These okay. are things, Jason, normally if I get a speaking role or something, I don't want to seem pompous talking about this here, but if that happens, then I go in, I get to, you know, know people to some degree, even if it's a day. This is, a, we're exploding a house that isn't, you know, so we're building a fake one, part mm-hmm. of it or whatever. They're yeah. doing the explosion. That's the construction team, the set deck team, yeah. and the Sparks uh, team, Okay. So we're doing this like an hour outside of town. I'm sh- this is literally a job. I'm showing up, putting on whatever this guy wears for the movie, putting on the wig to look like him, right? And I'm getting blown out of a house, way away from set. I don't even see a call sheet. I sign in and sign out, and I'm out there with like seven people. Okay. And we do it. Well, in the camera, and there will be a, a, a – I forget what they call it, a split uh, – I forget. But anyway, it will be a second director out there that reports back, film stuff. We'll get it. And they'll go back, and I'll come home, and they'll continue with their movie. Oh, so it's okay. not as intimate and personal when you're just in there to do one stunt. All right, you're just a hired. You're just a hired gun. You're a hired one. gun. Hired exactly. gun. Exactly. Now, um, are you by chance? Were you a wrestling fan growing up? I mean, I think it's impossible. I, I I don't know if I'd go as far as to say fan and be part of that fandom, but I think it was impossible not to get swept away by Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate War and Kokio Coco Beware, and there was action figures, there was cards. I So I guess by default, being a boy in an all-boys school growing up in the 80s, I was, to, yeah, I guess to some degree a fan. The best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be. Brett the Hitman Hart, he will join us tomorrow at uh, 420 on Sports 1440. So uh, I just I, I remember him way back from Stampede Wrestling. That you brought, I don't know if you saw Stampede Wrestling. I don't know if they had it on the East Coast. I know what Stampede Wrestling is. My old coach Bob Lauks was in it. Little Brutus, didn't they call him that? Was That's it, what I always heard. Bob Lauks was Little Brutus. Hey, they, they, we were told not to talk about it. It was like two. I, I'd known him for two years before I even brought it up. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I got to ask Bret Hart yeah. about that. Really? Anybody? That's and, Bob Lauks, man. I heard that for years, and he oh. confirmed it. Jeez, I did not know that. Well, there's some wrestling trivia for you. you That is amazing. Fantastic. I'd heard so much, but his bark is way worse than his bite and ended up being just one of the best coaches. Well, I mean, 
there's so much, you know, like I was talking earlier, I don't want to get too far into it, but there's certain people that are your friends for life. And that guy's definitely one of them. And I didn't think going in that that would be the case. No. Uh, well, you know what? I, I heard he was a very demanding coach, mm. a little bit of a yeller, he was. but that he doesn't, was. that doesn't mean that he wasn't compassionate, didn't care about his players. And so I, I think, as you said, uh, maybe once you got past the rough exterior, that uh, there was a guy that cared about you. And really for players, especially in that era, and, the, you know, you want a coach who, who cares about you. So, yes, uh, Brett the Hitman Hart, who, who, of course, I watched growing up as a kid and Stampede Wrestling was amazing. Then him, Jim the Anvil Nightheart, obviously we're an unbelievable tag team. You know, they rocked the pink, man. They rocked the pink and black for a long time. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, uh, Mr. Slater just uh, sent me a note about that. So it's going to be pretty fun. Uh, a few other things uh, to discuss. Got a lot of text flying in at uh, 833-401-1440. Hey, uh, TR, I'm wondering, you're from Newfoundland. How'd you end up in the WHL? That one comes in, Adam in Spruce. Good question. I went to the Quebec Pee Wee tournament, and uh, there was some scouts there. I, I I was going to leave. At that time, you had to leave Newfoundland. I wasn't getting away with playing my first year Bantam here and getting any better as a player. Okay. And so that's, put in perspective, you're talking Jason, 13, 14 years of age. Well, I was big and I was, I tell you, at that age, I don't mind saying it. I really was. I was the best prospect in Newfoundland. And I went to the Quebec Peewee tournament. They scouted me. I was MVP. And we, we, we won the provincial 16 to zero. Like, you know, I had eight, eight, I think. I mean, it's, you stop counting. It was just like, Okay, I got to go somewhere to play. Okay, okay. so there was a, I was going to go to Cambridge, Ontario, and play for the Winterhawks. Todd Harvey was there. Just I think he's a year or two older than me. He had just been there and went to the OHL. They were starting to threaten with the idea that everybody had to go to the Q League if you're from here, and that's what happened. Now the Q League's a lot better though in the '90s. Again, I don't want to knock them too bad, but it was pathetic. If you can, if you look at who got drafted, where, who was winning yeah. the Memorial Cups, they didn't win one for like the '80s and the '90s. So for the most of, so I didn't want to go. And and it was a finesse league with the guys, you know, I even knew then I had a bit of a temper and I was a bigger player that would probably succeed a little more in the rough stuff. Sorry to keep going. So I went to the Quebec Pee Wee tournament. There was a team there from Vancouver or scout there from Vancouver. And he gave me a card and he said, I represent the Vancouver super series team, team Vancouver. And there was all teams, team BC team Winnipeg. There was team Northern Alberta team Southern. And anyway, they asked me to play, and when I came home, my dad said, "You know, I might as well take a team away." There's not, and it wasn't just me. The, the group Mail ahead hit. of me, um, a year older, were real good. The seventy sixes. So he said, "You, Kurt Walsh, Brian Bercy, the best three seventy sevens." He said, "You guys go with them." We went out. Anyway, the rest is history. We played. You know, Newfoundland's usually the sacrificial lamb. I've played national tournaments in baseball, ball hockey, soccer, and hockey. And usually you play the host first game, so you lose seven to one. Everybody gets a free hot dog. And those Newfoundlanders got fight, 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 you know, but we win. Yeah. But this wasn't the case. We tied them six to six and nearly went up, man. I remember getting in one down the corner, dropped our gloves too, four minutes for roughing. I love the refs. And anyway, um, we did all right. We tied three games, lost two, and a bunch of guys, seven or eight, got scouted to go. Kurt Walsh ended up going to Buffalo in the third round a few years later. Most guys went Ontario way. Me, David uh, Price, a few more stayed out that way. And Tri-City were right there. Chico Resch and Ron Toigo. Yeah. Uh, Ron, I think, owns the Vancouver Giants now. I could be wrong. I know he did for a point. Ron, they took me out to dinner, and my dad was there. And uh, they gave him some kind of a golden handshake. I'm not sure what went down. But they guaranteed him a teaching job if he went out. And, you know, where do you want to go? They said, well, we'd like to hide you up in Quinnell. 
and we're going to draft you because the, dra- the draft's when you're 14. So if they weren't true to their word, I was right going right back to Ontario to play in Cambridge. Okay. But they did. They, they ended up picking me third overall. And then after that, my, my dad left and, and came home. They came out with me for the first six months or so, right? I'm 14, right? Yeah. And then when, when everything was set, they came home, and I lived with Ryan Marsh's family uh, in, in Cornell. And, and that's how that went. And then d- didn't you have – like? In Tri-Cities, because uh, I had one of your teammates text me earlier this morning, one of your former teammates, I can't reveal my source, and said, uh, ask TR about his car that he drove in Tri-Cities. Okay, this is, yeah, that's a lot to unpack. Um, <laughs> it is a lot to unpack. I got down there, look, I was like, always did, a bit like, fun-loving. Did, I, yeah, you painted your car or something, is this right? I painted it, yeah, I, and we called it, look, I, I was there for the boys whatever, and we had... I always felt, first of all, like my hockey team was my family. And I guess when people, you see an A on my chest or a C, that's, I'm loose, that guy in the room. Okay. I'm not a, a guy to, to go in and yell at everybody or just, and I think it was being young and being from here and having a funny accent and being out there, you know, I just think that's how I chose to fit in. So, and it made me comfortable. And if you're confident on the ice, it's a whole lot different than if you're not. And I came out of my shell through humor. So I guess being that guy, and it just became part of my personality. So we were after practice one time. We used to go in in the morning, okay? I graduated a year early when I was 16, so they call it slugs. I don't know if they still do, but you get you got to get up and go in. If you're not in college, you're not in high school, get up, come in, do something productive. So me, Ryan Marsh, was, in, was one of the guys. We would, uh, Mark Hurley, we would come in and we would take correspondence courses and go in and do them in the dressing room. And I would also always write a company I would like if we had Colgate toothpaste I'd look at the address on the back and I would write into Colgate and say you know I'm not happy with what's whatever it might be or like Bob and Doug McKenzie I found a mouse in the bottom of this coke can whatever it would be just but I would get often letters back and I would get uh, you know free Oakley sunglasses I had a letter in Rolling Stone I would you know, we would just try and we were sitting there one day with nothing to do and for, they were painting downstairs something, and I had it was pink, gold, and black, and they had a spray can, and I had a Dodge Lancer, and I just said, "What should we do with this?" So we kind of did the Herbie the Love Bug. We we put um, stripes right down the middle. We put my number twenty right on the front and on the top and on the back, <laughs> and that just uh, ruined a good car. And uh, it was secondhand; it cost me like I don't know two grand. And um, and my billets bought it, if you can believe it, back then. And they were cool with this. They knew the kind of guy I was. So not only that, okay, we we do that. And every single autograph in Tri-Cities that I signed, I put a different nickname. So I would put Terry the Tornado Ryan, Terry the Tyrant Ryan, Terry. And I guess I put the Flying Rabbi one time. Well, I don't know, whatever came into my head, Terry Flying Rabbi Ryan. So I put that down, and the boys got a kick out of it. So on the back, I put Flying Rabbi and I used to put a, if you could believe this, I used to put a crash test dummy mask on and I'd have the boys like sit on the corner with a camcorder. This is on tape somewhere. And I used to like drive up to the stoplight and like slam on my brakes at the last minute and boom, hit my head off the, off the wheel and look at the people next to me. And they would be like, what the, you know, and we got it all on camera. Every, every day was a laugh. It was a joke. We had a great team, too. If we didn't run into camp struds and Kamloops every year, they won three of four Memorial Cups. Yeah, they're pretty year. good. No. Yeah. But, which also helped us, though. Yeah. Because all kinds of people were watching us play. Right. And that's the other reason I went out there. Uh, Jason, look at the look at the Memorial Cups before I went out there. There were 
it was either the OHL or, or the Western League, but more often the Western League in the late 80s and early 90s. So to me, it was the best league to go to. If I could get there, I would scratch and claw to do so. Terry Ryan uh, joins us. Uh, quite the, uh, uh, you know, that, that could qualify as a Ryan's rant, but it was more of a Ryan. We might have, we'd have Ryan's rant, but then we just might have uh, Terry's tales as a different time brought to you by uh, Action <laughs> Electrical. As uh, Action Electrical, by the way, uh, tonight, they are having their 50th year celebration. It was 50 years ago Don started it uh, in his basement. Pretty amazing. And uh, he's also, the big man, is uh, him and his lovely wife, Grace, are uh, both celebrating their 80th birthdays. Um, this the, Well, she turned 80 a few months ago. He's turning 80 uh, later on uh, in next month, actually. And so it's 50 years as a company. 80 years together. They've been married for 56 years. So uh, a big shout out to uh, Action Electrical and the, and the big event they're having uh, tonight. A great family run company. Uh, 415, 416 on Sports 1440. Jason Greger alongside uh, Terry Ryan. Uh, when we return, we're going to talk about TR's favorite team, the team that drafted him. What's the expectations? And do they have too many Smurfs? Let's be blunt. Do they have too many small guys? We'll get to uh, Tony Marinero when we return. Gregor Ryan on the Thursday edition of The Gregor Show presented by PlayAlberta.ca. Oh, gosh. I haven't heard that tune in a while. That is an absolute beauty. The con man. He is back. He is back and uh, ready to roll. Jason Gregor, Terry Ryan with you on Sports 1440. Also live on Orders Nation at YouTube. Hit the subscribe button while you're there as we keep building up subscribers, which is fantastic. Yeah, you can text the show 833-401-1440. And it's time to go around the NHL. Brought to you by McDonald's. And for a limited time only, you can enjoy the Mighty McMuffin or the Mighty McGriddles breakfast sandwiches made with bacon, egg, sauce, and cheese on a McGriddle or a McMuffin. Uh, Tony Marinero from the uh, Sick Podcast uh, covers the uh, Montreal Canadiens. Will be uh, joining us momentarily. Uh, Tr, I know the game's different now, but uh, when you look at your beloved Habs, because that's your team from afar, I'm like, yeah, they got some skill, but it's all the same. They got a lot of small guys. That a concern yeah. for you? Totally. Uh, people say I always hear them say, "Oh, you know." So-and-so, Johnny Good could never play back then, and there's way more room for the small player. All I know is that the average size is bigger. I was average, six, almost 6'1", 195. Now it's bigger. I read recently it's almost 6'2", 205. So if the size is getting bigger, you can't tell me that. I know there's exceptions, but back then, Theron Fleury played in the league. Steve Sullivan played in the league. There were people. They might have been a different style. It might be a little bit chippier back then. But in my mind... And I don't think I need to go any further than look at the last five or six without even thinking about it. Teams who won the Stanley Cup, just look at their defense. Oh, you like yeah. Carolina? Look how big their defense are. Yeah. Right? So I, I don't think that over four rounds, on top of that, combined with the hardest sport to play playoffs, I don't care what you say to me. Four rounds of possibly seven games of every second night. It, got, it has to. It does. The proof, again, is that every year, whoever wins – has a mix of it. You can't have no skill. Lots of small players have won the Stanley Cup. But as a rule, the teams that win have big, tough players. Yeah. And uh, like I, you look at Montreal's back end. You know, Michael Matheson, David Savard's big guy's kind of slow at this point. You know, Justin Barron, Caden Gooley, Chris Weidman. Like, Montreal's defense, man. Like, I just, I don't see any way 
that they're going to be significantly approved with their back end. And, and you know what? They're in a rebuild. That's fine. But I say, oh, you know what? Montreal's going to take a big step this year. And I'm just like, how? I, I don't see it. Like, I'm sorry. Just I look at their back end and their goaltending, and I'm like, man, that's two pretty major question marks. And a, and a smaller – I'm actually – first of all, I'll say this. You know who I'm concerned for is Wi-Fi. Uh, Arbor Jackeye, is that how you say yeah. that? Because there's not much toughness there. And look at the players that he's going to play against. Oh, gosh. Look at Ryan Reeves Please. and Lucic. What's it? it, it or the uh, McEwen. Like, it's, you know, there are divisions that are going old school here that have guys there that are going to drop the gloves, and it's not going to be any screwing around here. And Montreal, I think, I don't know, just to protect the guys who fight a little bit, I would definitely get someone like that. And I think just overall, I don't know, through trade, through whatever, I I don't think they're too small. I think they're way too small and not enough jam. It's one thing to be Gallagher. Yeah. Hey, I love Alex Newhook. I watched him. I think he's going to break out. But Alex is like a lot of other guys on that team. He's not really physical. You need to surround yourself with some level of toughness and tension, right? At least I think. And again, point to the teams who win. Yeah, Terry Ryan, uh, of course, uh, former Montreal Canadian. As we uh, preview the halves, Tony Marinero from the Sick Podcast, a uh, longtime reporter for the uh, Montreal Canadiens, joins us now. Tony, my man, uh, glad to have you on the show. I appreciate you doing this. Um, give me your thoughts. I know you're tapped yeah. into that team. When I look at their defense core and I look at their goaltending, I, I know they're in a rebuild, but like, is there any reason to think they can be in that much improved from last year? You know, they don't have, and thanks for having me, guys, they don't have a player on their team who plays ice hockey as good as Terry Ryan plays ball hockey. That's the problem right there because I saw, what was it, 14 or 17 points at the uh, ball hockey championships? It was something like that, right? Leading the you, team in you points. A close eye. It's good to talk to you again, my man. And, uh, yeah, you been a while. Oh, you're right, 14. Thanks for it's paying attention. It's been a while. So congratulations. <laughs> congratulations on that. Thanks. Uh, I really look, appreciate I, it. I think the rebuild was a well-thought-out idea. I've been preaching for it for what it's worth since 2009. That was the year of the centennial. The Canadians had about 10 players whose contract was up at the end of the year. And because it was the centennial year, they wanted to celebrate it. Instead of trading players at the deadline, they chose to stick with them. And they got swept in the first round by the Bruins. It ended up being a terrible decision. And then Bob Ganey went on a one-day shopping spree and and uh, opened up the vault for Brian Jonta, opened up the vault for Mike Camilleri. Prior to that, he had traded for Scott Gomez. And then they went on this miraculous run in 2010. But in the end, it ended up catching up with them because Yaroslav Alak could only be so hot for two rounds and not for four. So in a city and on a team that has a hard time attracting free agents, you have to build through the draft. The opportunities they had to draft really good players by picking third overall twice, first overall a couple of years ago, fifth overall this past season in the draft. The challenges are they never really had a great draft when they did bad. So they they screwed up with the Galchenyuk pick. It wasn't a great draft year, but, you know, they could have had Morgan Riley or they could have had Forsberg, or they could have had, I think, Vasilevsky. And then um, the Kock and Yemi draft, 
They could have had Brady Kachuk. They could have had Quinn Hughes. That backfired on them as well. And now we'll have to wait and see whether Uri Slavkowski is going to be the best player from that draft and where David Reinbacker is going to end up fitting in, who was picked fifth overall. So the Canadians will be better this year than they were a year ago. And so far, I think things are going according to Jeff Gordon and Kent Hughes' plan. I didn't like what they did with Slavkowski. I don't like it for any organization. Teenagers, you're a unicorn if you can succeed in the NHL as a teenager. It's just very difficult to do. And I know he was in the American League. I was like, man, the guy's coming over to Europe. Put him in the juniors and let him dominate. Let him build his confidence up, and there's nothing wrong with it. So I I know it's early. I don't know if you've seen him skating or not, Tony, but how does he But to their defense, Jason, if I can, to their defense, he he was a dominant player at the Olympics playing versus men. And he was a top 10 player at the world championships playing versus men. Having said all of that, when a player is really big, like Slavkowski was big, 6'4", 238 pounds, they end up being dominant players at a younger age because they just, you know, they go through guys. And when you end up playing in the National Hockey League, you end up going up against a lot of guys who are as big as you, as strong as you, or bigger and stronger. The game is faster. And if you don't have your head up, you're going to be in an awful lot of trouble. I think they skipped a very important development step with Slavkowski. I would have kept him to play in Europe one more year, or I would have played him in the American Hockey League with the Laval Rocket for about a year. They made their decision. I don't agree with it. I would have sent them back to the World Juniors a year ago. After the World Juniors, I would have sent them to the American Hockey League. They decided to stick with them in the National Hockey League because they believe the best development is going to be under their watchful eye in Montreal. Only time will tell, guys. I have a question, Tony. Um, I spent a lot of time watching Alex Newhook growing up. Yeah. And he skates with us in the summer, and he trains real hard. I go to the same gym. He's got a trainer. I mean, this guy is dialed in. It was no surprise to me he went in the first round. It was no surprise that he was successful. Won the Stanley Cup, but, um, you know, he was buried in the depth chart a little bit there. I think he's going to break out and be a great player in Montreal. Hasn't really, I don't think, well, he hasn't hit his ceiling anyway, but I just mm-hmm. think he's got more to give. What's the word there? And with so many possible centers, are they even yeah. think, you know, are they thinking about maybe putting him on the wing? What's the buzz with Newhook? Yeah, the one thing they have right now, Terry, on this team is they have a lot of players who can play center and can play wing. So Nick Suzuki obviously is slotted in as the number one centerman on this team until proven otherwise. Kirby Dock, you would think, is slotted in as the number two centerman for now on this team. That's where Gordon would like to see him eventually. That's where Hughes would like to see him eventually. But he was absolutely awesome playing right wing on a line with Suzuki and Caulfield last year. Mm. There is no Montreal Canadiens player that had the chemistry that Doc had with Suzuki and Caulfield last year. So that's something to look out for. Okay. Personally, uh, I look at it another way, and that is I wouldn't mind seeing Sean Monaghan start the season on that line. Why am I saying that? I'm going to tell you why. Monaghan is an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year. He was an unrestricted free agent last year. He had picked up 17 points in 25 games. Unfortunately, he got hurt. So what happened? The Montreal Canadiens said, listen, Sean, you want to get the big money and unrestricted free agency? We can't give it to you. You're not going to get it. You were hurt, but you had a good time with us. You were picking up points while you were healthy. Why don't we try and do it again? And if you pick up points, well, then we're going to deal you at the deadline. 
I would have Monaghan on that line. But it's also possible that they could put Newhook on that line, either if they see it the way I see it and put Monaghan there to start with, or they might put Doc there to start with, or they might put Newhook there to start with, or they might put Josh Anderson. Personally, I would put Anderson maybe when they play on the road to insulate those guys versus other teams and bigger players that might want to intimidate them. But I'll say this, Newhook's acquisition is not unanimous in Montreal. There are a lot of people worried that the Canadians didn't have to make this move or maybe force this move or probably should have held on to the draft picks. The one thing that comforts me is that Kent Hughes knows Alex Newhook like the back of his hand. And if there's one thing that Kent Hughes has shown me so far is that he knows a lot about people. And he's a real good judge of character. We saw it in the acquisition of Mike Matheson. Um, And so... He knows Newhook, and he knows that Newhook's going to give him everything. What Marty St. Louis likes, Marty St. Louis likes players that play a vision game. He likes players that play an IQ game. Because of that, I think Newhook can have success. Where so many people are worried is that you start taking a look at the Canadians' top six now, and you better hope that Slavkowski is going to pan out sooner than later because he would add some much-needed size to a top six that is small. Yeah. Like I was on the radio earlier today with George Larac and, and Stefan Gonzalez on BPM Sports Radio in Montreal. It's Montreal's French all-sports radio station. And what we talked about was with 11 of 15 players going to the Canadians' rookie combine under six feet, <laughs> is the future of the Montreal Canadiens too small? So I started to do some digging, guys. And in the last six years, the last six Stanley Cup champions, they're all 6'1 or bigger. And they're all about anywhere between 195 on average weight to 203, 204. Yeah. But what I noticed is if one is more important than the other, you know what it is? Weight is more important than height. So the Canadians will probably say, you don't have to be big, but you do have to be strong. You take a look at Suzuki. He's thick. He's built like a wall. He's got a real strong core. But anyway, that was some of my findings today. The last team to win the cup that was small in both categories were the Pittsburgh Penguins seven years ago, who were, I think, dead last in the league in height and second last in the league in weight. They were able to win the cup anyway, but at the time they had the two best players in the world in Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. But I'll just add to my findings, guys, because a lot of people talk about them being small, and they are. But the most important things that history has shown us here in the last decade of cup winners is weight is important. Depth at the center ice position, especially on the top two lines, is important. If you're going to have weight, you need to have it on your top line, and you need to have it on your top three or top four on defense. You need an average age of about 28 years old to win the Stanley Cup. And you need a goalie who doesn't have to be the best goalie in the world. He just has to be real hot at the right time of the season. Yeah. Aiden Hill puts his hand up and Vegas fans are like, hey, what's going on? As uh, Tony Marinero joins us on You're Sports right. 1440. And that, you know, it leads to the question, Carey Price. It wasn't a surprise where he, you know, he came out and said, hey, it looks like my career, unfortunately, is, uh, is probably over. So, you know what? Uh, you need a goaltender. You got Jake Allen. You got the Smith. Uh, Samuel Montembeau. Like, Montembeau played pretty well. Last season, Tony, could he be a diamond in the rough? Or are they hoping maybe that he just builds off of what he did last season? 
I'm not going to go as far as to say that he could be a diamond in the rough, but I will go as far as to say that he proved me wrong last year because when they acquired him from the Florida Panthers a couple of years ago and I saw him play his first couple of games, I said, this guy's not a National Hockey League goalie. So he not only proved to be a National Hockey League goalie, but down the stretch, he stole the number one job from Jake Allen in Montreal. Now it's probably easier to steal it when you're in a no-pressure situation and no one really expects you to win. Okay, but he still did it. And then he went to the World Hockey Championships, and I looked at the Team Canada roster on paper. They didn't look very good to me. (laughs) Now, I don't know how strong or not the other teams were, but I know this. I know they won the World Hockey Championships, and I know that Montembeau was very good. So, so far, he's proved me wrong. I'll say this. He could be a number one in the context that is. They're rebuilding. They're developing and they're trying to get better each and every day, and I don't think he's hit his ceiling yet. Having said all of that, I will say this. When the Montreal Canadiens will not only turn the corner, but be a very competitive team to be a legitimate contender, which I think can happen in four-plus years from now, I don't think Samuel Montembeau is going to be their goalie. Okay. Uh, is, there, is there anybody that's going to be a surprise in Montreal? This season, do you think that here's a guy, you know what, watch for him. This is somebody I think it's either going to have a breakout year or somebody that people really aren't expecting to be an impact player. I don't think like in Montreal, there's a lot of the talk around Logan Mayu. And I don't think Mayu is going to make the big club this year. He's got a great tool set that I can tell you. He's big. He's strong. He can skate. He can move. A defenseman scoring a Michigan goal. In a junior hockey game, I mean, you don't see that often. You see 50 goal scorers do that, 40 goal scorers do that, 100-point players do that. He impresses the heck out of me when it comes to hockey. But he already missed a year of junior hockey a couple of years ago during COVID and during everything that happened. I don't believe in skipping development steps. Look what happened to Alex Galchenyuk. I am not comparing the two, but I'm just saying when you take a year off of junior hockey, it usually catches up to you. But I'll say this. Since it's easier to make a team as a fourth-line player more so than it is to make a, to be a top-six defenseman, like Emil Heineman intrigues me okay. because he's got an NHL shot and he can score goals, so he could be a wild card. Um, Farrell, the other guys, like there's some interesting names – And I know that everything plays itself out at camp, but I wouldn't expect any surprises from the beginning because think about it. What are the Canadians doing? What are they trying to do? What are they trying to accomplish? Yeah, they want to win the Stanley Cup, but no one in the organization thinks they're going to go out and do it this year, right? As a matter of fact, most people, if they were betting, would probably bet that they wouldn't make the playoffs than that they would. So if there's a player who shows you something at camp, Do they put them on the team or do they actually make them develop because they have time on their hands and they can wait? They have time on their hands. They can wait. I don't see anybody making this team that shouldn't make it. But I've been wrong before. But I'll continue to give my opinions because I'd rather have opinions that are wrong than not have an opinion at all. Because podcasting, radio, and television isn't all that interesting. (laughs) Tony Arbor's that guy. Yeah. He looked like he, he 
came on the radar for many Canadians, myself included, really, with his fists. Had some good fights. I went to some games in Montreal last year. I watched them closely. I thought he carried the puck more. He had more confidence as the year went on. I believe he might have finished with an injury. In all the all the same, I just thought he he got a lot more confident with the puck. Like, what's his ceiling? What 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 are the expectations for that guy? Now yeah. I mean, he's a veteran. He is a decent player. Is it drop at the mitts more than anything, or you know? Yeah. His uh, Terry, his season ended in a scrap with Vinny DeArne of the Edmonton Oilers. That's yes, how his season yes, ended in yes, a scrap yes, that was yeah. at the Bell Center. Uh, his, yeah. his shoulder popped out, basically. Look, this guy, this guy surprised a lot of people. I mean, no one thought that this guy was going to make the team a year ago. So who am I to say that no one's going to make it this year? Because it was the same philosophy last year, and yet Jack Guy made it. So it just it kills my point that I actually made a couple of minutes ago. But... It's impressive that he stood up for his teammates. One of the things that he did, and not everyone knows the the whole back end to the story, but his first fight where he opened everyone's eyes was versus Zach Cashin. Yeah. And Cashin the year before had steamrolled over Montambo, which I think was Super Bowl weekend the year before, and nobody did anything. And Jack, I actually admitted that it was talked about and it was something that he paid attention to. And he, you know, it was part of the reason why he fought Cashin and he did a real good job. Like, I don't know if this guy lost any fights last year, maybe close to losing one, but I'll say this, even though I know he can handle it, I'm a little bit concerned for this guy this year. Why? Because he doesn't refuse anybody. And now all of a sudden he's got Lucic in his division who wants to hammer him. He's got Ryan Reeves in his in his division who wants to hammer him. Ottawa's getting stronger. Uh, they have a couple of guys there. And I'm not going to say he's going to bite off more than he can chew because he's, he's more than capable of defending himself. And I am no expert when it comes to fighting, but I know that George Larac is, and I've had these conversations with him. And George finds that Arbor is just way too open and a little bit unorthodox in his stance and the way he fights and that it's good enough to beat up some guys, but he'll be in trouble versus some big-time heavyweights in the league. And look, Arbor Jackeye fights a lot better than Mike Komisarek did, but Mike Komisarek at one time bit off more than he can chew with Milan Lucic. Yeah. And his career was never the same. I just don't want that to happen to Jackeye because, listen, Ryan Reeves, Milan Lucic, the McDermott's of this world, I mean, there's three or four guys in that league that are Jack the Giant killers. Mm. And he's strong, but he's a good player. I don't know how much he has to do it. Like, he feels like he has to do it every time he plays. Or every time he goes up against a tough guy. But he can play. You know, Lyle Odeline was on that Montreal Canadiens 93 team. Hmm. And Odeline wasn't scared of anybody. And Odeline would fight anybody. But at one point you saw, you know, Odeline was probably better than a lot of people thought. Hmm. And Jack guy reminds me a lot of Odeline. I think hmm. he's better than a lot of people think. And I don't think he has to do it as much as... I don't know how much fighting is prevalent in the game today. But since he's going to be challenged, it wouldn't probably be a bad idea for the Canadians to have an insurance policy. Doesn't hurt, man, when you got a lot of young guys, young small guys, for yeah. sure. You know, I know that Michael Pazette is there. Yeah. And he's more of a middleweight, right? And, yeah. And by the way, George Larac 
has been giving fighting lessons and fighting tips to, to Michael Pizzetta. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's gone on my podcast to say that he'd love to work with Jack Eye. I don't know if he started or not, because even if he did, he wouldn't say it. You know, that stuff stays confidential. But that would be something to look out for, because once he started to give tips to Pizzetta already, he might end up giving tips to Jack Eye. Hmm. Something to watch for. Couldn't hurt. Tony. By the way, what do you guys what do you guys drink and eat in Edmonton? George Lorac comes on my podcast and he says if he still played in the National Hockey League today, after seven or eight years removed, at his age, he can still beat up anyone in the National Hockey League. I told him, George, you're nuts, man. I said, George, you're nuts. Stop saying stuff like this. Well, George, what? Well, yeah, but he's round, he's round two eighty right now, so he could hold his own probably pretty easy on the ice. Now, uh, if it was yeah, a, if, a, if it was a round two eighty, and, and and he's vegan, by yeah, the way. I know. We always joke. We that always that joke. must be some pretty heavy salad. Let me tell you. <laughs> hey, we always joke. Which vegan did he eat? That's what we always like to ask him. So, uh, Tony, it's always good to talk to you, my man. Uh, continued success I, with the uh, sick podcast. It's doing great. I love watching it. I love the passion. I like the singing, and uh, we'll talk to you throughout the year. Jason, I love what you've been able to do here. And sports radio uh, was, you know, uh, everyone thought it was a thing of the past in Edmonton. And you were able to revive it with what you're doing. So you're doing awesome. Some of your colleagues are doing awesome. And I'm happy to see Terry back in the game. Awesome. Thanks, Tony. Thank you, my friend. That is, uh, see you, guys. See you later. Cheers. See you later, buddy. Tony Marinero from the Sick Podcast. Man, if you're a Habs fan, you watch this podcast, man. It gets fired up. He's singing. It's hilarious. It's, uh, it's quite funny. Uh, we'll come back. We have five questions on the Jason Greger Show on Sports 1440 and live on Orders Nation YouTube and Facebook. 4.50 as we continue on Thursday afternoon. Jason Greger, Terry Ryan with you. Now, TR, I don't know about you during the commercial breaks, but now because we're, we're live on YouTube anyway, um, uh, you know, I'm on YouTube and I found myself down a rabbit hole and suddenly I'm watching some uh, um, rooster uh, coin contest uh, during the commercial break to, to see who won. Like, that's... It's not something I was expecting to do on a, on a Thursday afternoon during the show because I usually like I know I have a bad habit and some like there's certain times I, I don't really go on on uh, like Instagram or stuff very often or you know YouTube but, but when I do I'll get stuck on it for like 45 minutes watching the most idiotic either vi- uh, videos or contests and so I couldn't believe it for literally the last five minutes I'm watching uh, videos on uh, who has the best rooster call. Whoa. Yeah, I get uh, once in a while it happens to me. I got caught last night watching ratting videos. R-A-T-T-I-N-G. I didn't even hear the term before. What is it? I don't know. It seemed to me that people out in the fields, I guess farmers for the most part, or people that work around a farm, at least the videos that I saw, and they got some way to, you know, they. I, I don't know how they do it, but they, they bring their dogs out and, and rats come out of the ground. I guess there must be... Maybe they flood them out or something. Yeah. But and they just literally send the dogs after the rats, and they come out by the tens, sometimes by the hundreds, and oh. there's just rats everywhere. People picking them off, dogs throwing them around like balls. Never heard of the term before. No. My buddy said it. Yeah, my buddy said, yeah, I'm going ratting. I said, you're going ratting? Where are you going ratting? Ah, my buddy's burn. Anyway, I went online, and there you go. Check it out. Oh, geez. Nice. So, well, I know that at sometimes they'll light a fire at one end uh, of the hole, and then usually it pushes them out the other side, or flooding is another way to do it. So, well, there you go. Uh, I'm not sure which is worse, uh, uh, rooster calls or ratting. Uh, we might we might both uh, be battling for uh, biggest waste of our time. Uh, let's get to uh, five questions, which is never a waste of your time. Brought to you by The Brick, and don't waste your time because the tent sale, baby, it's ending 
tonight. Get the best sleep you deserve and get it sooner at the Bricks Next Day Mattress Delivery. You can save up to 50% off right now on select mattresses because, trust me, sleeping comfortably matters. Check it out at the Brick and thebrick.com. It's time for five questions on the Jason Greger Show. All right, guys, question number one. Bob McKenzie released his preseason draft rankings. I know we're a ways away from the draft, but right now, if you had to look ahead into your crystal ball, who do you think will be the first overall pick next summer? Go ahead, Jay. Um, wow. Yeah, this is really hard, right? Um, you know, Celebrini seems to be the, uh, um, you know, Bob's consensus uh, to start um, out of Boston University. But I... Uh, I'm not. I'm going to say this. Don't sleep on uh, Demidov out of uh, Russia. Um, I, I know that there's maybe a risk on everything that's going on there right now. But man, I've talked to a few scouts and they love him. So uh, I might. Uh, I know it'd be a big risk. I guess it depends who's picking number one. If and the Capitals, they don't look that good. If the Capitals have the number one pick for sure and they win the lottery, that's who I would take. I know the consensus is Macklin Celebrini. I was surprised by how much I think nine of ten. I read that article that McKenzie came out with. Whoa, um, I don't get the feeling he's consensus like that though. But so I'm going to go with London Knight Sam Dickinson, six three D man, two o four. I'm only trying to go outside the box to give some people listeners something to think about. Uh, if all my money was on the line, I would go with the scouts. But I love this guy, and it's the only one that I've actually seen play a couple of times. Uh, Sam Dickinson, big guy, 12 penalty minutes. I don't get that. I know it's, I know the game's not physical as it was, but 62 games, 12 minutes on D you got to take someone out in front of the net. I know that, that concerns me a bit, but you can't teach six, three question number two, since we just discussed the halves with Tony, uh, where do you, when do you think the Montreal Canadians get back into the playoffs? Well, I am a, I'm a big believer that rebuilds, I've, and I've studied it a lot. I've researched it a lot. Like everybody wants to be a quick. It's rarely quick. It's it's a lot of pain. Um, I know they had the kind of the, the Cinderella run in 21, which is great. They went all the way to Stanley Cup final. But you know, if, if you look at it, um, they they haven't they've missed the playoffs the last two years. They made it the two before that. Honestly, I'm going to say five years. Sorry, Habs fans. Um, it takes a long time to rebuild. Tony outlined it's not like they're draft picks. They didn't hit on Cockney. I mean, they haven't hit like on some of those other ones. So I'm going to say another five years, unfortunately, for Montreal. They've got some great talent at some point, you know, like I read a stat today. Caulfield has 48 goals in his last 82. They've got some flashy stats. I like Suzuki, their captain. Five rookie D last year means they must be. In two years from now, they're going to be seasoned veterans. Although, although, I'm looking at the teams that they're going to have to beat out to get into the playoffs as much as I'm looking at them. And I I figured I was going to go with three years. Surprised you went with five. I think it's closer to five than anything, but I'll just say three. Question number three, Thursday night football tonight. The Eagles right now favored by six over the Vikings over at PlayAlberta.ca. Uh, with that and the over-under set at 49, what would be the smart bet in your opinion? Uh, for me, uh, I think the first game, the Vikings, they both could have played better, but I think the Vikings just had a really, really off game. So I think they're going to cover. No one's picking them to do so either. I think they're going to at least cover. And I'm like you, Jason. I hate going under. I don't even like watching a game if I go under. So for no other reason than I want to see points scored, and I think there will be mistakes, 
hopefully on the defensive side. I'm going to go with over. I had uh, two stretches of under uh, on Monday night and uh, the Elks game, and both were. So uh, I'm done. I was, even though I was right, I'm like, there's no chance it's going to be three in a row. So yeah, I will. Uh, I will take the over. Honestly, I think there's. Man, I, I look look at the receiving core. Look at Kirk Cousins had the second most passing yards in Week One. Uh, the Eagles, I know they got a victory. I don't think they played very well. New England kind of beat themselves more than anything else. Um, Goddard will actually get some involvement tonight offensively. So yeah, I, I think it's going to be over forty. Question number four today on a CBS radio show, Hall of Fame quarterback Dan Marino says his peers would throw for six thousand yards in today's game. Uh, the regular season record for the record is fifty four hundred, set by Peyton Manning. Are you buying what Marino says, or do you think it's a bit of an exaggeration? Well, Joe Montana the other day had mentioned uh, Dan Marino, and arguably the, one of the greatest, just pure passing quarterbacks ever. That's hard to argue. Like, look at Dan's numbers in a, in a time when it was running back central, right? Like mm-hmm. everybody was running backs; they were running the ball all over the place. And Dan Marino's throwing for a thousand yards more than anyone else. And go look at how many pass attempts he had. Like, just look at how many pass attempts guys have now. I don't think it's a it's a major stretch uh, to think that guys like that who you know what now the difference was. You got more mobile quarterbacks nowadays, right? Like Patrick Mahomes will run a little bit more. Dan Marino, right? Like he could barely run 10 yards, right? That's not a knock on him. That's just a fact. He was, you know, remember when near the end of his career, man, it looked like he was wearing Depends. His, uh, his padding was so big in his ass just because he was getting rocked all the time. But for a pure passing standpoint, like Doug Flutie threw for 6,000. And keep in mind, they also have an extra game now. So I, uh, I think we will see a 6,000-yard passer very soon. Marino claimed that him and his peers would all throw for 6,000, correct, Connor? He mentioned his peers, yes. It's a polite well, way of saying me, of but he didn't want to say it. He didn't want to just say me, so he throws in his peers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I get his point. Okay, I get his point because the rules tend to favor quarterbacks, at least passing-wise now, and there's an extra game. An extra game when there was only 16 moving to 17 is a big portion, right? That's that's going to be a lot of yards one way or the other. So I think there's some truth to what he says. I don't know about all of his peers, but, yeah, if he played now, if you could somehow do that, of course the athletes are more evolved and the game is different. But, yeah, why not? 6,000. I mean, he threw for over five with totally different circumstances. Final question for you guys today. It was on this day in 1985. Golden Girls first aired on NBC. A bit of a two-parter here. Were you a fan of Golden Girls? And what is your favorite sitcom of all time? Go ahead, TR. Yeah, I was a fan of Golden Girls because there wasn't as many options. I think now I just wouldn't come across it because I would never put on a bunch of women over 65 trying to make me laugh. It just wouldn't happen. But back then it was on TV and you watched it. And by the way, I liked it um, for what it was. And, you know, you take it with a grain of salt. But what are my favorites? Okay, look, my favorite... It's three shows that I find by far funnier than anything else in my subjective viewpoint, okay? Those are Seinfeld, Arrested Development, and Curb Your Enthusiasm. Do you do you count Curb, count Curb as a sitcom? I'm not really sure. But definitely 1A and 1B, Seinfeld, Arrested Development. I think they were innovative for different reasons. Seinfeld kind of, you look back now, it's a little bit dated, but you think of when that came out and the whole thing, you know, it's about nothing. There was never a point. No hugs, no lessons. Uh, what was it Larry David said? Anyway, that was some of the it – was, it was just – and it really, there are people that are almost 
you know you're rooting for, but they're they're kind of sleazebags, really, if you look at the plots of all the shows. So I think it was brilliant how they did that. Arrested Development, I think, was just as innovative. I think it went over the heads of a lot of people, and it never really caught on like I thought it would. I think it's the funniest show I've ever seen. Anyway, go ahead. Well, Seinfeld obviously is one that's going to get my vote. It's it's unbelievable. Another great sitcom, though, just from from character development and and you know they, they had so many funny lines and they were able to incorporate a lot of different characters. It was Cheers? Cheers yeah. was outstanding. Rhea Perlman was as car was hilarious, yeah. right? And then you even had Diane and Rebecca and how different they were. So when they replaced the character with another one, they didn't go with the same. I, I thought it worked well. Cliff Clavin was an absolute classic. I don't care. Like Norm walking, like Norm epitomized a lot of people. You can go to a neighborhood pub and there's a Norm in a lot of those neighborhood pubs. Just happy, jolly guy. Everybody knows him. Hey, Norm. Like, and God, you would, you would love to have that. I don't care who you were when you walked in and, and people noticed you were there and said, hey, how's it going? This, you know, makes your day better. And then, you know, you got the little bit of the anal guy like Fraser. So, yeah, Cheers was, you know, Cheers was close. But Seinfeld, it's probably because the age I was at when Seinfeld came on and a lot of the topics that they talked about, like Master of My Domain. I still remember the first time I'm watching the show and I was just like, is that what they're talking about? Like it was, it was mind blowing. It was so good. And, and Kramer's like just his body language. Like I, the thing that I love about Seinfeld, I can sit down now. I rewatch Seinfeld and it always puts me in a good mood. Doesn't matter how crap of a day I've had. I'll go, I'll go find a Seinfeld show if I need to, because I know that's going to make me laugh. And it almost doesn't matter which episode it is because uh, what Seinfeld did that I think most sitcoms didn't do was their, and they're not supporting characters, but they're, they made characters that came in once every 10 episodes, maybe once or twice a year, and they were so good that you remembered them. Like, think about Bookman. Bookman was there two times, and Bookman <laughs> yeah. is still one of the greatest characters of all. His speech to Seinfeld in his apartment is still one of the greatest sitcom speeches of all time. Totally. The soup Nazi. Even Newman. You think he's in every episode. Oh, I look, yeah. He's only in 62 of yeah. the 190 or whatever. You know, there was just so many. Soup Babu? Nazi's in one episode. Ba yeah. Babu? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, what about J J Mr. Childs? Oh, God. He was hilarious. Like, there were so uh, many just, of them. I just uh, read a book, and, and it, you know, it, it just points out how different it was and innovative. And if you really think back. Now, of course, so many things. And a lot of brilliant shows like The Office. Parks and Rec, it kind of went that documentary style. Arrested Development's a lot different, like I mentioned. Um, now HBO has a lot more. But at the time, if you compare that with like Steve Urkel and Growing Pains and yeah. all decent shows, but this was way different. It was like nothing else before it. And every Thursday, it's the only show that I remember. I mean, I remember watching Golden Girls. I don't know what day. I remember every Thursday, uh, especially in the minors, we were like, okay, get all the boys, go to whichever hotel room and watch Seinfeld. It was a oh, big thing. Was that unreal. Unreal. TR, man, this is unreal. I can't wait to have uh, Ryan Marsh on. He'll probably have a few uh, stories about uh, his, uh, his, uh, his former junior buddy. So that's going to be awesome. I uh, look forward to chatting with you on Monday. Good luck in the stunt tomorrow. Crush it. Thank you. All right. Well, we'll look forward to seeing it whenever it comes out in whatever in the unnamed movie or yet to be named movie. I should I'll, say. I'll uh, keep you up to date. Oh yeah, Thanks don't worry. And by the way, I want to point one thing out, JG. Sure. When I said it went over most people's heads, Arrested Development, I didn't mean I'm some elite smart guy. I meant you got to watch them in order and really pay attention. And a lot of people don't have that attention span in today's world. That's what I meant. Oh. But I recommend starting at the beginning. Oh god, you won't be disappointed. Job is unbelievable in that show. Oh <laughs> Job god, <with> Buster Blue. <laughs> 
Oh, Let's yeah. go. Have a good one, buddy. Have a great weekend. That's uh, Terry Ryan. Let's get to uh, a quick uh, sports 1440 update brought to you by Edmonton Kubota. And like you and like us, they're super happy to have sports radio back in the capital region. And uh, they are celebrating by all their compact BX tractors right now. Zero percent financing for 84 months. Shop in store or online at EdmontonKubota.com. Here is Connor.